come si dice? Molto bene! That's right. Italian Americans all over. I'm watching the Fellini films for this week of Galani and Chill. I, of course, am Galanti, and I am Italian. <laughs> and there's Steve O'Tiri, and he's Italian. And then there's Devin Kopeck. Hey, I got a, a, I got a little bit. I got a little bit. <gasps> Who the fuck is Corse M. Galante? <laughs> That's my Italian alter ego. <laughs> Corse M. Galante. Hey! Pretty cool. It does sound pretty cool. <laughs> I'll take a, 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 a class course of M. Galante. Well, uh, I watched a lot of Italian movies, and uh, the Italian movies, there's a lot of yelling. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, I bet. How, um, how many women get smacked? Oh, uh, good, a good fair bit. So, uh, so if we were said like if you saw ten movies, probably a hundred thousand women were slapped. <laughs> to be fair, they are Italian. All they do is make hand motions. People are going to get in the way of those hand motions. Yeah, some of it is accidental, but most of it is intentional. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> but also, a uh, thing I I never realized, but now I'm starting to come to the conclusion is that uh, Italian men's voices can either range from being very high and funny or very low and almost demonic. Like, I, I I don't know why, but there was a lot of Italian men that sounded like, blah, blah, blah. like that's, Boozy, what blah, blah, blah. that's what they sound like. It's a weird way movie. to say you are beautiful, but okay. Uh, yeah, it's a very guttural uh, type of voice or very high pitched. It's cool because you get like, uh, you can make, characters that are really evil or characters that are goofballs and it's just by the the kind of tonation of the italian to be fair there are only two types of italians it's goofball or demon and... <laughs> yeah, that's what it seems like <laughs> the attention i got but um, i think it's just one really really well-known uh, foley artist and he just I, makes up because i know obviously italian language isn't real it's just a bunch of sound effects sure doesn't sound real i'll tell you that i right mean now. They just took Spanish and then just kind of twisted a little bit. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's what I get from it. And it's so like sing-songy that it almost sounds fake. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe like, oh, Fellini was just really known for musicals and you're just ignorant. Well, that? He, he loved musicals. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of movies that he made, he kind of shot and produced in the style of a musical, even though it probably shouldn't have been done that way. Um, yeah, you know, I'm. I it's kind of a. I'll, I'll tell you right off the bat, it's kind of a mixed bag for me with these experiences. I think there's some really interesting Fellini movies, and I think visually they're all fascinating. But the man does get bogged down in the fantasy of it all a little bit, and uh, hmm. I'm I'm gonna get into that a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's a really well renowned renowned uh, director. And considered one of the best, Federico Fellini. But uh, yeah, visually, I, I will tell you, every one of these films is is a feast for the eyes, fellas. Um, really enjoyed it. Now I know Steve, you've seen uh, Eight and a Half, right? Yes, you, you have seen that beautiful movie mm-hmm. looking film. Um, that's the uh, one with Eminem, right? Eight yes, the eight, eight and, and a half, half mile. mile. Yeah, yeah, eight and a half mile. Yeah. Good lord, that would be something. <laughs> if it was like that, eight mile 
an eight and a half, you would emerge them. It would be everybody criticizing Eminem's music <laughs> up, until the, up until the very end of the movie. And then uh, he, he does sing and it's really good and interesting. Um, oh, just like when Eminem finally freestyles at the end. It's really good kinda. and interesting. Mm-hmm. Yo, is it a remake? <laughs> is 8 Mile a remake? <laughs> I did probably. A lot of movies are based off of 8 and a half. It's super, super famous, super well-renowned, like I said. It's probably Fellini's most famous film, too. I think a lot of people associate him with that. So, mm-hmm. uh, But yeah, it's this 8 and a half film. So there's a lot of other stuff that came before it. And I will argue... It's better, a little bit. I think. Uh, so, so some of that stuff's a little bit better than eight and a half. I think so. I think some of okay. his earlier stuff really kind of it hit me a little harder than. Uh, I will say, I think some of his earlier stuff is more narrative focused. Like, there's actually a narrative and a story, whereas like his later work starts to get just all about the visual and the feeling that you get watching it. Not so much the story or the character. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, they're like vibe films more so than they are actual narrative films. Well, yeah, uh, before we get into that, is there anything you guys want to talk about this week? Anything you watched? Any films or TV that you might have either started, uh, finished, finished or kept going? I think I'm trying to remember if I watched any movies this week. And I'm kind of pretty up. slow a week for me. I've only been watching. Really <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I did watch episode two of House of the Dragon, and I did watch the first two episodes of Lord of the Rings. Ooh, okay. Man. So I I watched Hot D. Yeah, watched you watched Hot D. I got down to it. I finally I cracked down. And I, and I you, did it. you watch both? Uh, yeah, I, I'm all okay. caught up on House. Listen. Of the I'll say this, not that there's even much to spoil at this point, but I do some, I guess, minor spoilers just for like the flow of the show, I guess. Uh, I find it interesting of the the fairly big time jumps that are happening between episodes. Six months between six months. And And then the next, uh, apparently the third episode, he's supposed to have a a kid by that point. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And Uh, then they're replacing some actors with older women. 50 to 100 pages of actual story is, is what they're working <laughs> off of. <laughs> that's it, man. That's all, that's all that's there. And I guess well, that I'm makes just, sense. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's so-and-so gets mad. And then he I leaves. Kinda, and then and then she gets the egg. And then and he's I like, like, I'm going to marry it. I really like them. In this newest episode, that was very cool. The dragons were all very unique too. They they don't all kind of look the same. Mm -hmm. So you see that CGI budget there. It's definitely there. It's good, and they look cool. Yeah. um, How do you how do you feel about the the main the current king? Oh, he's a he's a complete fool. Um, Yeah, and I like him. He's he's good. He's good-hearted. That's the issue, right? Like, he's the well-intentioned buffoon that kind of just makes really bad yeah. decisions. Um, and I, I got the, you know, I, 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 that's exactly how he's written in Fire and Blood, too. So that that's pretty spot on. And the fact that the throne is, like, actively rejecting like, him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all part of the 
part of the story too. But uh, yeah, I, I just think um, I still think there's pacing issues though, you know? Sure. Yeah. In general, I don't know. I have a hard time with this show. I think it's slow um, in a lot of ways. But yeah, and I mean, I, again, I, I've always felt that the first season of the original Game of Thrones, I don't think really, for me, it really didn't get going until um, about three, four episodes in. See, I, was, I was like, I well, I was like really that. locked in. I mean, I was, I was like interested. I was into it. I, I certainly, but I don't think I really was like, yeah, this show was great uh, until about, I think it was the, um, I think right out the gate, that show is pretty gripping. I, I agree. I yeah. feel like, especially because like, like, yeah, because it's like, whoa, 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 incest child shoving. What <laughs> the flip? I don't know. I seen Oz. Well, keep in but mind, then, this is this is back this is back in 2010. This is you know pre <laughs> we Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and this is before you know this was the norm, man. Listen, we still I, I didn't get kisses. I didn't Brothers get hot and bothered, <laughs> dude. I didn't get hot hot and bothered until Clegane the well, mountain. I never cut hot and bothered. No, no, I'm saying I'm telling you when I got hot and bothered was when you saw the mountain man. was when the mountain cut a horse's head off with one swipe of his sword, and I was like, I'm what? Okay. That was like episode three. I don't know if this was the what episode this was, but it's pretty early when Tyrion started slapping the shit out of Joffrey. I was like, "What?" I think that's the pilot. Yeah, yo, yo, yo. I'm like, I love Tyrion from the from his first fucking word in that show. I think he was perfectly casted. I think Peter Dinklage was amazing. I don't think there's a better act. I don't think there's a better group of actors on TV than there were on Game of Thrones at that time. They were really, really good. And this show doesn't have that. Mm. It's got Matt Smith, um, and then everybody Matt else. Is, he's great. He's great. Yeah, no, no. But I'm saying it's got Matt Smith, and then everybody else is kind of catching up. But it's weird. I mean, I think they're literally replacing the the daughter. Like she's being, they're recasting her with an older actress because that's what the plot is doing. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, they're like her, and I think the um, her friend, the redhead. That might be for the best. <laughs> I, but, I mean, it's just like, I mean, I know it's only two episodes or three episodes that they're going to be in, but it's just like, I'm like, huh, that's, that's interesting. They're, they're a bit flat. I feel like those, those two characters anyway, for me, I, I, those actors to me don't bring a lot to the, the roles. Like I, I just don't have the same reaction I had to the, to the actors and even the plot that I did from Game of Thrones to this. I don't. Yeah. That's my issue with it. Did you watch any Lord of the Rings? I didn't. Uh, I'm, I'm that one. So there were two. There were two episodes. There were two episodes that came out day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am. I am happy to say that I will win this no titties bet. This is a TV fourteen show. Fuck you, Devin. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but uh, boy, um, it's good. There's money everywhere. You see it all there. Um, but is it, it is so very TV, like plot line inspired, like, like it just like screams, like I'm a TV. Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying it's like super uninteresting, but it's like, okay, Galadriel is stranded on a boat with this dastardly human. And it's like, that's what those, that's the Galadriel plot. Then there's a Hobbit plot. And then there's a, 
elf plot. You know, there's an elf and a woman in a human woman plot. Uh, you know what Tolkien had a really good job of doing is he got everybody together real early. And yeah, this looks like this that. looks like <laughs> they will like never or, you know, just at the, you know, oh, the, the paths are going to collide. And I'm not saying it's even bad. I mean, but it's just that is that is TV ass TV. You know, oh, we got to give all these characters completely different plots. None of them are going to meet. You got to well, get the party together. Uh, yeah. And then there's sexy. There's sexy. What I can only assume is sexy Gandalf. Um, sexy Gandalf. I, I don't think it's confirmed, but he looks like sexy Gandalf. Like bikini and everything. Yeah. So it's just sexy still. It's just still Gandalf. Ian McKellen, actually. So you're gonna see dick instead of tits. Is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> you're know, gonna see know. Gandalf staff. Yeah. <laughs> He's all shirtless and has like weird abs, kind of. I mean, weird abs. To, to be honest, Devin, I'm not surprised by that. Um, <laughs> not, 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 not like the, the what you're saying. Sexy Gandalf, sexy or he's sexy Radagast. I don't know how it's kind of loose. pumpkin pancakes. <laughs> Maybe a little too loose and a little too formulaic. Like they need to all be together man that's the whole point well i mean i mean to be fair none of the characters have a reason to be together at this point oh that's like the best D session ever right everybody's a loner am i right oh my god <laughs> well i mean like like it's not even it's not even like there's a reason why the plot should be connecting at this point there will be of course but um as of now um there is not Again, yeah. another another scenario is very little source material. And this is all just well, Galadriel's a bad. She's a badass now, Chris. Really? Yeah, she's uh her plot's actually pretty cool. Um, at least her like so her brother died fighting the armies of Morgoth. Okay, and then and then she's convinced Sauron because like it's like Sauron was like Morgoth's like second in command. And when she, her brother died, he had Sauron's like mark on him, and she's like, "Oh, that means he's he's like still out there. We never caught him." And then basically, she's in the weeds, and everyone else doesn't believe well, her. Well, no, well, yeah, of course, nobody believes her, right? And then and then she comes back, and they're gifted with the the journey back to the Undying Lands. And then at the very last second, Chris, she jumps off the boat. And then she's she's like, no, I can't give up on my mission. From what I heard online, doesn't she flip them off before, like as she's falling off the? Uh, she tells him to. I think um, she says, "I got two words for you: suck it, suck it." And then she oh. stabs Ooh. herself, all the, all the elves, herself, and the elves. I don't remember DX doing that. Yeah, they, they would, would. Well, they would when they would do the suck it chops. They were jamming arrows into their knees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> duh, no dude. Idea. <laughs> fucking weird guys yeah dx were huge lord of the ring heads dude huge <laughs> ring heads yeah they're huge ring boys ring um, i will i will say um the actress whose name escapes me who plays her um you can tell they hired her because she's able to do that like wild intense stare Oh, yeah. That um that um Kate Blanchett can do, but then like the problem, the problem though, is like that's just a face she makes at random points. So sometimes <laughs> it's a reaction shot. And it's like you don't need to look this intense right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a little, it's like a little too much. Um, <laughs> and it's like get it, I, Jesus, I get it, Gladry. 
relax. But a little, um, too, a little too intense, huh? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but like, listen, it, right now there's some parts that are reading like, like at, if I at its absolute meanest, like if I had to be absolutely mean about it, because uh, I am enjoying it, but some of it is reading like an absolute like young adults like sci-fi novel series. Uh oh. Because it's like, ooh, there's this elf, elf and human woman, and they're in love, and secretly, they have a kid. Well, no, she has a kid whose just ears are conveniently always covered by his hair, and like you know, they're gonna be like, he's an elf, he's an elf offspring. Oh my god, you know, half human, half elf. He gets a little hot. He's gonna you know brush his hair back, and they're gonna know. Yeah, he was an elf. (laughs) Oh no, not an elf. (laughs) And then, uh, and then like. And then again, a Galadriel's like lost at sea with a a handsome roguish man who's like, I don't need anybody's help. <laughs> bah, bah, bah. And I'm like, okay, cool, I guess. I remember Tolkien writing all of this. Don't you yeah. guys? Don't you remember? Uh, El- Elrond is a is a the, I, I will say I really actually like the um there's a plot that's happening right now between Elrond and um fucking the, the the dwarf prince whose name i can't remember uh because he's like oh yeah we're friends and uh they they you know they get brought in and the dwarves are appropriately dwarvy right like they're just like super dicks and they're assholes to everybody but uh the thing is is um like elrond's like hey man i thought we were like friends and he's like no He's like, we were friends, and then you haven't seen me for 20 years. And like, Elrond doesn't think it's a big deal because he's immortal. He's like, I lived an entire life. He's like, I've gotten married and had kids. And you just come in here randomly. And he's like, genuinely hurt by like Elrond's just kind of like, oh, you know, I'm just immortal. So what's the big deal? And dwarves are crazy long lived as well. But, you know, he's still just like, dude, you're a shitty friend. <laughs> and this is kind of fucked up. But uh, you know, so that's like weirdly, weirdly. Um, did they did adult? They, did they know? get into Elrond's last name? Uh, well, you know, you'll find out later about the Star Gods. Well, I can tell you, it's it's Hubbard. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. You'll find. Elrond's and then he Hubbard. writes that book. He writes that book. <laughs> Absolutely, that's Star Gods. That's um, he wrote the Similarian. There's a bunch of weirdos <laughs> <laughs> in Middle Earth that are really obsessed with it and give them all their money. I will Smart. say, uh, hey, hey, gamers, hey, gamers, hope you have your eyes peeled because Kella Brimbor's in this. Oh, shit. Kella Brimbor. Womp, womp. For those of you who've had sex before, uh, Kella Brimbor, <laughs> he's the elf that, uh, that like, helped Sauron unwittedly forge the, wing, the rings of power and things like that. Mm. And he's in the Shadows of War uh, video games. He's like the oh. elf that possesses you. Wow. Yeah. So he's like, you, you meet Kella Brimbor. He as like accidentally an, helps Sauron make the rings. Like he doesn't realize that. What's yeah, I think, I think like, yeah, I think Sauron basically becomes like his, his like hot shot apprentice. And then Sauron, you know, he's still Sauron. So he basically, he's like, oh man, you should show me your ways. And then he's like, wow, you're so talented at this. So is he gonna is Sauron gonna be in this as his handsome sexy self like everybody th- else is handsome? I think sexy? so because there's somebody in the trailers that's like tall and sexy. Okay, uh, and it's not just 
sexy Gandalf. It's like, Steve, guys you like wanted to know what like, was under that armor in the in Fellowship of the Ring? Well, buddy. I did. I, you know, I was always like, damn, that, damn. that, look at him. Look how tall he is. <laughs> damn, what that, what that, is he like cartoonishly tall? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he is, me, actually. You see that Sarusi. <laughs> and like, you know what's annoying, though, is like, they're going to be cute about it. They were so cute about it. They're just gonna be like, I don't know, Easy Sauron. And it's like, yes, fucking yes. It's because every show is now Gotham. Yeah, well, it has to be. <laughs> oh no, I didn't know every show was gonna be amazing from now. You're gonna on. see. You're gonna see Sauron just devour a turkey sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all we'll know. That's all we'll know. He's bad because he eats sandwiches too fast. <laughs> yeah, fucking all about it, dude. <laughs> all about it um okay. but, uh, you know right. it's it's uh and, and boy does it look like there's a lot of money on the screen well that's mm. always good right a lot of money and really bad characterization and poorly placed drama right isn't that what you want excuse me i want to see if galadriel fucks that human chris <laughs> Ooh, love that she's a little hoe if you think about it, because it's implied. Oh, no, hold on. It's implied. And I know they're immortal, but it's implied her and Elrond have a thing. It's implied that like Gandalf and her had a thing at some point. You know, she was she was bad down with Gimli at some point. I think she hit that Strider bussy. Or- Dude, are you kidding? well, I think I think this her fucking this human. Uh, I think this is going to basically. You know, I think going to give her the green light. You know, she's like, oh, you know what? Damn, human. Now I got a taste of that pink, that pink human dick. I need that pink human ween. <laughs> well, I know a lot of people are upset because uh, they have dwarven women that look like women in the show. And it, canically, canonically, oh. excuse me, not canically, canonically, canically, canically um, women, dwarven women look just like the men. Right? Isn't that what Tolkien well, said? I think, I mean, let's be honest. I think the real part is that she's not a white woman. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. There's also that. So, uh, dude, that's I I mean, does that, okay, like, it it's tricky, but it's like, is it really, okay, so like, uh, let me give you an example of me being kind of like that, right? Being like, oh, well, it's kind of fucked up, right? Imagine if they made a Warhammer show and then there were like female space marines. And I was like, man, that kind of does not fit at all with the lore. Now, could it? Sure. But it would probably innately bug me a little bit. I'll I'll tell you why it doesn't really bug me too much. I just brought it up because I heard the buzz. The problem with Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit is there are no no women. (laughs) Like there are very, very few <laughs> yeah. female characters, and I'm like, okay. Part of me's like, well, they're not dwarven women are supposed to look like dwarves and all that, but like, there's no fucking women in the show. So I get, I get it, I get why they have to do it because honestly, that's that's a huge shortcoming. It is, yeah, of of the Hobbit mm. and Lord of the Rings, man. It just, it just is. Yeah. So well. And again, not, this is not a shot, but like, if women are your thing, we got Lady Hobbits, we got Lady Galadriel, we got a hot human lady who wants to bang, or has been banging, hot elf man, mm-hmm. and then we just got, you know, and then we got the bromance between the elf and the dwarf. Hell, hell yeah, that's then, where, that's then, what matters. 
Yeah. You know? And like, and now I just know I'm going to be sitting on my fucking hands waiting for this Balrog episode. Now, when it are did, they bringing it, in the rest of the Street Fighter characters, or is it just him? I mean, Vega's rumored but for this season. It's just, I want to see know. that bathhouse, that E Honda bathhouse <laughs> scene. <laughs> Oof, wait. Wait. Bunch of dwarves come in, he fucks them all up. <laughs> a thousand slaps. Hey, you're not allowed in here. <laughs> so he's clearly a dwarf in this scenario. No, e Honda just doesn't. He doesn't oh, want any of that. He's just a massive, massive man. Just a sumo wrestler. Yeah, he just it's doesn't want any of that beard hair going down the drain. You want to clog the drains again? I don't know, man. That's just what they did for the Amazon show. Get him out of here. <laughs> This is a Chinese guy, isn't he? Or Japanese? Japanese. Doesn't sound like that. Man, it's Amazon, man. Bezos demanded it. <laughs> well. So, I, okay, last thing I will say, though. Um, this show still makes me so fucking impressed from the original films. Because there's a, so much CG that you're like, oh, yeah, of course, like CG's the, the answer, right? And, you know, sometimes it's still... It still looks like CG, right? Whereas, you know, there was just so much time and effort put into like placement. And I'm just talking about strictly like size, right? Just like dwarves standing next to hobbits, oh, or hobbits standing next like to humans. Character size, not like size of yeah, building and stuff. Ex- exactly. So I'm just saying, like, you know, all the crazy stuff Peter Jackson did and those tricks that he used, like, I still feel like there's no beating that. No, because it's no. it's still weird when like force perspective El- is always cooler than CGI, man. Yeah, and like Elrond standing next to you know Prince Durin, and it's like cool, but you know there's just fuckery going on, unfortunately. Uh, and it's I, I mean I, I say fuckery in like a bad way, but like you know it's just not. Nobody got cute with the set. They're just like, all right, put them in front of green screen and, you know, plate here, plate there. And that's, we're pretty much. I'm so happy they're not doing that in House of the Dragons. Like, they're not CGIing people to look a certain way. Like, I'm. Yeah. God, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So, are the. Are the dragons still around in Game of of Thrones? Like, by the time in the Game of Thrones? No. Like, no, well, isn't there that one that fl- flies around when, like, remember when um, Peter Dinklage, well, I can't think of it, Tyrion and Jonah or Jorah were like uh, on the boat with the the, the stone skin wort lands or whatever, and there was that dragon that flew over. It's it just grayscale, like a- Devin. Okay, whatever. I was actually talking. I was talking about this earlier, so I know. Okay, I know you, yeah. Um, yeah. Is that a? Is that like a just a? One of the living dragons from the show. So here's the deal. There's two things going on. One, uh, you know, obviously the house of the dragons, dragons exist, but that what they're doing on the show is they're kind of playing up this conspiracy that a lot of people that read fire and blood have. And that conspiracy has to do with the maesters and Hightower getting together and somehow stopping dragons from being born. That's like okay. a big thing. Like apparently, um, because I think that's what they're setting up, that the maesters start to understand that dra- nobody should have dragons. They're absolutely like nuclear weapons. So they they do something to lessen and worsen the dragons that come after 
when they when they start their plot. So now the dragons are at their biggest right now, and they start to slowly get smaller. And the ones that are born are like half born and kind of like mm, falling okay. apart. So yeah, because that's when that. Tywin says like this: the last dragon was the size of an apple or something yeah, like that. Exactly. And there's a lot of people that think the Maesters had something to do with that. That's that's Ooh. I think what they're setting up in House of the Dragons. Those dirty ass, dirty assholes. Secondly, oh my God. <laughs> secondly, what they said in House of the Dragon was the biggest, baddest dragon. I think his name's Balerion or something. He fucking <laughs> what if it was just Blake. <laughs> Blake the, <laughs> dragon. the dragon. He fucking just leaves one day. Well, there like you he go. leaves King's Landing and without a master, and he just goes onto this island and he's just there, and they never see him again. Well, maybe that's the one they saw. You and know what? This is just some Game of Thrones extended universe shit. Pretty much. That's, I mean, and all of it's all like it's there's no there's no lore really to back it up. It's just theory. Yeah. Because it's, again, fire and blood, 500 some pages, and there's only about 100 pages devoted to this. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Ask well, George. Yeah, I mean, listen, I uh, I have Amazon Prime. I had a pretty good time with those two episodes. Um, certainly not bad. Certainly not bad. They set a record. Um, those two episodes, highest. Yeah. Ratings. Well, I mean, it fucking better have been, dude. Could you imagine? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's just like, eh, I don't know. Would have been pretty bad. okay. <laughs> I mean, it would have got, it would have gotten canceled immediately. But you see, this is where Prime is sort of in a better spot than a lot of others. I mean, maybe Apple Plus or Apple TV, whatever it's called. Yeah. Because they, the, the parent company has I just bundles and bundles of cash. So it's Also, like, like, this is just the service I have as a side effect to Amazon Prime, exactly. like the mail thing. So, like, the it's odds of me getting rid of that are, yeah, yeah, for now, unfortunately. <laughs> you know they're going to change that. But, um. Or maybe not. I don't know because it, it's it's a really good excuse to keep it. I yeah. I mean, I don't I don't see them not producing big budget TV, especially after this, because it did so well. Now, of course, I would assume that's what they're going to continue doing. Yeah, it, it did so well, but eh, you never know. They're doing a Fallout TV show. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm not gonna lie. So is that is that Netflix, Amazon Netflix or that's Amazon? I'm pretty sure that's that's Amazon. Amazon. Okay, yeah. And I saw some set photos of that. Oh, wowza. I am getting pretty excited. <laughs> Very I'm cool. Sorry. This is uh this is actually a Paramount Plus show. It's not, it's Amazon Prime, but Amazon Prime. It's Amazon a shutter. Prime. It's a shutter uh <laughs> joint. They're doing stuff, right? You, is anybody you know watching what? that? <laughs> <laughs> I have shutter, I think. It's just shutters doesn't want to be on most of the machines I, I use. It's so upsetting. And it makes don't. it and I'm sure that they're smart about it. They pay for that shit. But um you know, dude, real quick, the cast for the Fallout show is pretty good so far. I know. It's a good it's cast and El, it's got Ella Purnell, who was uh awesome in Arcane and Yellow Jackets, Kyle McLaughlin, Walter Goggins. Kyle McLaughlin. Oh, he's gonna be Okay, he's going to be Walter Grogan's father. I think they're doing Fallout 3. 
He's just gonna be he's just gonna be Kyle McLaughlin. However, the set photo showed the vault and all of their plants are dead. So this could be Fallout One where they they stop having the water chips. The water chip stops working. And you got to go out and get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically the plot. So who knows, man? I don't know what they're doing. It's gonna be cool. I'm in. See, it's nice to just be locked in for shit. You're like, I don't care about plot or how good it is. I said I was gonna watch this. So I'm watching it. I mean, I'm gonna watch Last of Us. That's the same way I feel about it. Like, I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. When's that come out? When's that show come? Next year. Is it next? Is year? it really? Wait. <laughs> I thought it was sooner. It might yeah. be sooner. It might Last be sooner. of Us series. Uh, Last of Us TV show. First episode, 2023. 2023. Fuck. Oh, uh, did anybody buy the yeah. remake? No. 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 Well, this I, is I, heard it's, I heard it's a great remake. It just. That's seventy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. This is a slap in the face. I would never. Dude, that. that stuff tied with with jacking up your price. I told you I didn't like this Jim Ryan dude. I was like, this Jim Ryan guy is fucking scuzzy. He sounds like he should be an announcer for the WWF. Yeah. <laughs> Jim hey, Ryan, man. here he is. Jim Ryan, Jim Ryan here good old Jr. And I fuck you up. <laughs> Jim Ryan here to fucking ruin your life. All right, fellas, I think we're about ready to get into some Fellini now. If we don't Fellini have anything else to talk about. I watched six Fellini movies, and I watched two shorts that I could find. Um, a lot of the stuff, if you're interested in watching some of the Fellini stuff, a lot of it's on HBO Max, and a lot of it is on YouTube. Um, however, the problem with YouTube is you have to find the right clips that have English subtitles because surprise, surprise, it's all in Italian. Mm. Um, but yeah, I did end up having the ability to find two of his shorts on YouTube and uh, I watched both of those, but I'm going to go in chronological order like I usually do. And the first thing we're going to talk about is I Vitaloni. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I Vitaloni, which Loosely translates into uh, the slackers, or the uh, <laughs> basically the, the 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 slumps of of society. Um, it's this film reminded me a lot of um, of of Swingers if it was made in the nineteen fifties. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting. Um, it's directed by Federico Fellini. It's written by. Him, him as well as uh, Inio Filano and Tullio Pinelli. These these names are going to come up a lot. Those are his his writing partners. Um, it was shot in 1953. That's uh, when it came out, and its runtime is about 108 minutes. Um, yeah, it's 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 about four guys, four college aged guys that are kind of they're all friends, and there's a leader. His name's Fausto. And Fausto is a real fucking scoundrel. He's uh, he's a philanderer. Mm. You know, he he. The, the opening scene of the movie is uh, that one of the friend's sister is at a beauty pageant called the I think it's called the Sea Monster. No, not Sea Monster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I forget the name of the actual pageant, but she wins and she starts crying and she faints. And you find out that voila, she's pregnant. Guess who knocked her up? Old Fausto. Old Fausto. <laughs> and then there's like a shotgun wedding and he's uh, forced to marry her. He was trying to leave, actually, when, when they all, you know, 
started to find out about her and he was trying to bring his friend along who was her brother. It's like, come with us, you know, we'll go find work somewhere else in another country. And his dad's like, you're not going anywhere, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> Look, you're going to go marry that girl because you're an asshole. And, you know, that's kind of the whole plot of the movie. Um, Fausto gets a job, ruins it by being a philanderer. And, you know, is constantly given second chances. And it's just, it's kind of sad in that aspect. But there's, the thing about Fellini movies is there, I, I think some of the first comedy dramas to, to really ever exist. Like, there's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of When this come out, 53? 53. Yeah. I'm sure there were others that predated him. But I, a lot of movies that we watch now, I feel, have that same formula. Yeah, it's a little thing called uh, Romeo and Juliet, Chris. <laughs> Perhaps you've heard of it. Wasn't funny. <laughs> it was a comedy. It started as a comedy. People were laughing back in the day. They, they were they were heated up. up. It famously was seen as a comedy when it was when it first came out because the first half of it's funny. Well, it, I'll, I'll, it's I'll, like a horror movie. It's like a horror movie. A bunch of dumb teenagers end up dying. <laughs> I guess so. I guess it works in that function. I guess I what I'm saying <laughs> is the the general formula of mm. films like we see nowadays comes from this type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. The DNA is 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 there in this. Um yeah, it's 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 a simple movie too. It's just about the four guys. There's one friend's a playwright and he meets like an older actor that's obsessed with his work. And the act the older actor is trying to give him like a leg up in the industry and he finds out that the older actor is gay and he hits on him and he gets scared. <laughs> he runs <laughs> away because <laughs> he doesn't you know he's He's not gay, but he's how gay. much does it take? Like, do they just like brush hands in 53? And he's like, whoa, get out of here. No, he's like walking with him in a pier and he says, uh, oh, there's a dark spot. Let's go read the fourth act of your play together. And, you know, he's kind of like leading him along and smiling at him. And then he gets he figures it out and he runs away and he's like, hey, hey you don't understand what I'm saying. Like, that's what he's saying in Italian. The, the older actor and kind of laughing it off. Um, but yeah, it's like it's a very much a slice of life movie. You're going to be hearing that a lot. I feel like that's Fellini's go to. He really enjoys those types of films. Barely a three act structure. Mm. It's just sort of like people getting into things. And, you know, there's a there's sometimes there is you know, closure, but sometimes there isn't. And I don't know. It feels realer that way. The drama feels a little bit more real. Um, but yeah, a little bit about this movie. Um, it was written as means to gain funding for a screenplay just finished called La Strada, which we're definitely going to be talking about. Um, Fellini's film before this, The White Cheek, was a critical and commercial flop. A professor, a Venetian professor of calligraphy turned film producer took mm-hmm. a shine to it, particularly liked it, and ended up producing this film and La Strada. Um, the title can be translated to The Bullocks or The Slackers. Um, also went under the name The Young and the Passionate in the United States. Uh, production moved around central Italy to accommodate the schedule of the veteran actor Alberto Sordi, who plays Fausto. Um, most of it is shot in Florence, so it's just absolutely gorgeous in every way, shape, or form. Uh, I will tell you this, undeniably, Fellini has an incredible eye for film, and it's just amazing. His framing is amazing. He has a tendency to stick his extras in the foreground 
which I, I you rarely see that. That's very interesting. And he has them look at the camera a lot, which is unsettling mm. in some in some aspects. Um, but yeah, he's um, just got a, a great eye, great eye for film. And this first film definitely shows that. Um, but yeah, let's move on because I feel like the the meat of of all of this is La Strada. Uh, La Strada was my favorite Fellini film that I saw, uh, hands down. Um, it was a year made a year after El Vitalone. It's uh, made in 1954. Uh, same writing group, same same director, obviously. Translates to the road or the street, La Strada. And in this film, we see a young Anthony Quinn playing the strongman Zampano. Oh, Zampano. Right. Zampano. What, what is that from? I was trying to think what else is that from? Oh, that's from uh House of Leaves. House of Leaves. That's it. Yeah. Thank you. I couldn't I couldn't remember. Um yeah, it's, uh, I'm assuming the guy who wrote that, I forget his name, is a big Fellini fan because Mark Danielewski. Mark Danielewski. Yeah. Um yeah, this film is great. Uh, it's about a circus strongman that buys a, a young peasant girl to be his wife and street performer. That That's the plot, baby. Um, oh, so little woman. Pretty woman. Pretty woman? Sort of. No, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so derivative, Chris. Oh my God. He literally just shows up to the, like, the first scene is him. Zampano at the house, like, I'm going to buy one of your daughters. That's how he kind of sounds in the movie. Like oh, so said, Honda. He sounds like a fucking demon, like like I, I said before, and like you were saying with the Honda. Um, I, that's the Italian thing that I, I saw. Like, Anthony Quinn, he's fucking jacked in this movie, first off. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's fucking huge. And his whole gimmick is he has like a, like a chain that he wraps around his chest and he has this little <laughs> hook on the end, right? And the hook goes around the center of the uh, the chain on his chest, and he breaks the hook. He flexes so hard that the hook just bends and and shatters, and he breaks the the hook on the chain. That's his. That's his. That's his that's thing. His, that's his. Gimmick. That's a circus gimmick. That's his circus gimmick. But then he hires, uh, or hires. He buys a woman <laughs> and makes her perform with him, and she's kind of she's a little slow. Is the way I would I would describe her. Um, I don't think she's dumb. I think she's shy. But uh, I believe her name is Juliana G- uh, Gelsomina. Gel- Let me see if I'm pronouncing that. Yeah, Gelsomina. Gelsomina. Um, she's she's very shy, but she's got a big heart and absolutely one of the most expressive faces of any of the actors or actresses that Fellini uses like this, this woman, I think her name's Julieta, uh, title role, Julieta Massina. Great actress. Uh, she's fantastic in this. And, and her character sort of has a little bit of like the tramp vibes, uh-huh. uh, a little Charlie Chaplin vibe to it, uh, which really works. But like, um, this film is, I think the best looking, it has, probably the best plot, my favorite plot out of any of the, the Fellini films. It's very bleak, but also very uplifting at the same time. It, it that, That's something Fellini was very good at. He's very good at balancing the highs and the lows. Mm-hmm. Um, and this film is exactly that. I, I think 
that it's definitely his best by far. I, it's my favorite. Um, I also will direct you to the video that I posted. <laughs> I know you guys aren't going to be able to see this, but there's uh, you can watch all of La Strada either on HBO Max or on YouTube. But there is a scene in La Strada with a sick boy. And man, that little boy freaked the fuck out of me. Just, woo, terrifying. Um, What's and so creepy there, about this boy? You tell me about this creepy little boy. He's got this sullen stare. Because basically the, the plot is she's a clown. She's performing with Zampano. And she's kind of like the comedic side of the show. He's the strong mm -hmm. man. She's like playing the horn and beating the drums, wearing paint and everything. So a bunch of kids kind of crowd her on the street while she's performing. And she says, come perform for, for our sick friend, mm -hmm. our sick little friend. And he can't get out of bed. You know, he's like bedriddenly ill, which that, you know, existed back then in, in a lot, in a lot of different ways. <laughs> mm. Very sad. Um, and he's just this sad little boy who doesn't look like he gets outside much. And he has this dead fucking stare at her when she starts performing and she's performing and enjoying herself. And then she locks eyes with him and just instantly is afraid, <laughs> like terrified of this poor little kid. Um, great scene, great scene of acting from, uh, Julieta. Um, overall one of, one of my, the scenes I'm going to remember, mm -hmm. I feel like that's a tattooed scene in my, in my mind just because it's, the film is so light before that. And then you get this shot of this, kind of creepy child and it's just huh, just very unsettling very startling and uh, Fellini's editing is like bam fucking tight 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 like mm. he he is solidly moving yeah cutting on movement perfectly like really good really, right really solid editing um but this this film by far is is my favorite uh the title role we talked about the creative process behind La Strada began with vague feelings, a kind of tone that lurked, which made me melancholic and gave me a diffused sense of guilt, like a shadow hanging over me. This feeling suggested two people stay together, although it will be fatal, and they don't know why. Mm. That's basically La Strada as a whole. Um, Fellini went on to sketch various scenes to capture imagery which he continued to do throughout his career. He didn't do storyboards. He actually just sketched like certain scenes that kind of resonated and he would paint them in like oil paints too. It was really, really interesting process. Um, but yeah, I feel like this, he wrote this as like a, almost like a college essay, like a, like a college assignment. And I feel like he really loved this film and it took him until I think his fourth movie to make it. Um, and it's just phenomenal. It's a great film. Um, if you check out any of these, check out La Strada. Beautiful, beautiful movie. Great ending. I don't want to spoil anything because it's really enjoyable. Um, and with that, I would like to move on to Eight and a Half, um, which is obviously the most memorable film. I'm sure, you know, Steve's seen it. Devin, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it, right? Like people. Uh, La Strada? No, no, Eight and a Half. Eight and a Half. Yeah, I mean, damn, in that movie, yeah. <laughs> okay still doing that. uh i know i'm sorry uh no i don't i've never seen it i've never seen a, a frame of it, but i have heard of eight and a half it's like considered widely considered to be one of the greatest films of all time like it's, yeah they, they show it to you in like 
every film history maybe, class. Then maybe I've seen it. Yeah, I'm despite. thinking you have. I'm thinking you have. If you've yeah. taken a, a film a film history class, it's a big part of like surrealist film, a uh, big part of like the metaphysical type of storylines that became really popular afterwards. It's very postmodern, and that was pretty rare for the 60s. Um, this was made in 1963 as a runtime of 138 minutes. Uh, directed by Fellini, written by Fellini, Tullio Pinelli, Bruno, Brunello, Rondi, and Ennio Filano. Uh, Eight and a Half is about finding true happiness within a difficult, fragmented life. That's quoted from uh, Fellini himself. It is a, uh, a film that fluctuates between what is real and what isn't very uh, almost like lackadaisically. Like it's, mm. uh, it's hard to tell what's, I mean, there are certain scenes, you know, that are, that are dreams. And then there are certain scenes that you're just like, I have no idea if this is fantasy or reality and they collide a lot, you know, there's mm-hmm. the fantastical and the real, and that is Fellini in a nutshell. Like, I feel like this movie really sums up who Fellini is as a director. You have the real life harshness of real life and the fantasy, the lightness of fantasy colliding into one another over and over again. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this is the best looking Fellini movie. I, I think this is an absolutely gorgeous film there in every way, shape or form. And I think Fellini as well as like Kurosawa and Bergman, they all had a real knack for underexposing film and getting those real deep blacks mm-hmm. in their scenes. Yeah. And God damn, is that just not, some of the most gorgeous shit you'll ever see, you know, um, on, on a film screen. Um, yeah, this marks Fellini's eight and a half film, as he's talked about before. Uh, the film is also about a film being made, which is the film we are watching. So that's a big, big aspect of eight and a half. But literally people are, there are scenes of, of, uh, uh, flashbacks of a boy and his life, Guido's life as a boy in Italy and there are scenes that we watch and then right after those scenes we have people like critics and his producers basically criticizing him for weird flashbacks that he's putting in this giant science fiction movie that he's making (laughs) and those are the flashbacks we're watching which is kind of fun you know that's funny and weird and uh different definitely different um the cinematographer remarked that Fellini stuck a note to the viewfinder of his camera that read, remember, this is a comedic film. He, he huh. always really, he, cause Fellini has a tendency to kind of get really kind of depressing and brutal and, and towards the end of his movie. And I think he really wanted to subvert that for this. He wanted to make something that was comedic and funny, even though there's some serious trauma in this and character study, it's still light still a light film um yeah and uh originally Fellini's ending was Guido on a on a train with his wife leaving uh, Italy or leaving uh Florence and seeing all the cast smiling at him like every character in the movie coming back to smile at him to see him off that was supposed to be Guido's suicide and then Fellini was like no we're making a fucking comedic film <laughs> let's mm-hmm. make something fun and light and that's exactly the ending that you get in eight and a half is something 
where Guido realizes that the, the thing that he really needs is people in his life. And that's why he surrounds himself with these women that he loves, he truly loves, but can never really be too connected with because it's just, he needs people. He just is bringing as many people into his life as possible because he's lonely. And that's how his creative process works is being around people. So you, you see that at the end of the movie. Um, and it's all very symbolic and all very fantastic and surreal. But um, I really enjoyed this, but I, I can't, I, having seen La Strada, I can't say it's my favorite. I think La Strada is still just a fucking phenomenal movie. And uh, this is great, though. I, and I understand why so many love it. I would suggest seeing it, just to have your own opinion about it. But um, I don't know. I wouldn't put it on my top 10. Like, I still, I think Citizen Kane is a great movie. I think it's it deserves its praise. I, I don't want to say what this. the poster says. That's the poster what the, says it's fine it's, or whatever it says. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's not like you're not going to connect with every top 10 AFI movie, right? Like, that's just not right. the way it, it works. No. Uh, not to say that this isn't great, but it's just not my cup of tea. Um, I'm sorry. The poster said it's terrific. It's terrific. I think that's fair. That's a fair assessment. I would, yeah. say, I would say it is terrific. There you go. Um, it's terrific. There you go. Yeah, so that's eight and a half. Oh, by the way, La Strada has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, eight and a half as well, 98%. Um, mm. Steve's review, his negative review, is on there for all to see. So you can check that out. Uh, typical, Gary typical really Steve. Really hated eight and a half. He didn't get why they just didn't call it eight or nine. That's you know, is. that's how that's much of a percentage score do, he gave it. We don't, we don't do point fives in my house. <laughs> yeah, I figured that would be real. That would be that would bug you. You know, that's a little rough. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I always, I always find that funny that there's always like a two percentage point off of classics like that. <laughs> I don't know what Citizen Kane is. I think it's like 96 or something, but yeah. Classic movies, right? Um, okay. So we're going to jump ahead a little bit in time. Uh, we're not that far, actually. I thought it was a lot farther. Um, the biggest jump I think was between La Strada and eight and a half because HBO Max only had six Fellini movies and I really wanted to, watch them in good quality so i i decided to just watch the ones that they had um the other one they had was uh was juliet of the spirits which is the next film we're going to be talking about which is uh the images that i posted in the (laughs) the galani and chill more terrifying imagery um and juliet of the spirits does this thing with color that i've seen one other guy do right and he's another Italian guy. Oh, <laughs> his, boy. His name's oh. Dario Argento. Um, <laughs> True. I've seen Suspiria. Suspiria is a real uh, real knack for lighting stained glass, right? That was like a big part of that movie. I always remember multicolored yeah. stained glass being lit, like backlit really well. Um, that's 100% in this movie uh, in a lot of scenes in Juliet of the Spirits. Uh, Julia the Spirits is about a woman who finds out that her husband is cheating on her and she starts having a mental and spiritual breakdown. Um, and it's considered a comedy, but some of this is just so fucking 
sad and weird and scary that I, it's hard for me to to laugh at it. Like I showed you that picture of her. That's her mother. That one picture of the woman in in pink and purple. Okay. That's you know that's how she views her mother. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifyingly cold. And that little girl on the grate with the fire behind her, she's seeing her everywhere in this movie. Okay, that's pretty terrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. Like people are she's having a normal picnic outside and she you just see this like iconic image image of a, a little girl on a grate behind fire. Like it's just what the fuck? Um that's her kind of losing her mind and the, she's literally like a clairvoyant so spirits are, are interacting with her one spirit was telling her about her husband and his infidelity like it's a wild fucking movie man um and i would say th- this is where fellini sort of goes off the deep end a little bit whereas uh, this would have been i think uh, a normally plotted movie he goes eight different ways with the main character fluctuating back and forth between whether she's going to leave her husband or stay with him, get a divorce lawyer. Nothing's ever really solved either at the end. She, there's no decision being made by, by Juliet. Everything's open-ended. Um, it's just, it's a very loose film. It's a very loose plotted movie. And you know that's not necessarily my my cup of tea either. No, I would hate that. I think yeah. I don't think I'd like this one. It's um, imagery wise fantastic. I think there's some really solid images and beautiful color colors and beautiful lighting. Um, but it's just it's so all over the place with the plot. It's 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 maddening a little bit. Um, directed by Fellini, written by Fellini. His usual group of, uh, of misfits wrote it as well. Uh, Fellini embraces his fantastical elements a bit too much for this film, making for a muddled message, which I sort of walked away with. Um, the, this is another film with Giulietta Massini, who was in La Strada, who I really like as an actress. I think she's just got one of those faces, man, that you just you know everything about her by looking at her face. And that I think that's the main point of acting, right? Yeah, to get it all from right from the face. Um, the soundtrack was mentioned in a profile for actor Steve Buscemi, who notes a Victorola sits in Buscemi's dining room with this soundtrack permanently on its turntable. That's isn't, interesting, isn't that weird? Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of weird, right? It's got a cool soundtrack because, like, the way it works is when it's fluctuating from reality to fantasy, the soundtrack sort of moves along with it. Um, in a very organic way. It's very cool. I kind of like that about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think this one goes a little too overboard with the fantasy element, with the surrealness, and it loses the plot, literally. So it has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 85%, runtime of 144 minutes, made in 1965. So with that, we're going to move on to my second favorite Fellini movie out of the bunch. Um, and I have to say, I like this movie 100% because of the visuals. Like, I, I think mm. this is the movie Satyricon. And Satyricon, that's a weird title. Why is it weird? Well, because it's loosely based on Petronius's work from ancient Rome, 
called Satyricon. Uh, this was written during the reign of Emperor Nero and set in Imperial Rome right before its fall. So it's like the height of decadence, the height of people being really bored about everything they have around them because they just are spoiled rotten. Um, that's the Rome, the picture of Rome that you see. And I'll tell you this, this movie, it doesn't look like Rome. It, it looks like somebody's weird dream. It looks like Miyazaki fucking Elden Ring Miyazaki's dream of Rome. Like it's mm. dark as fuck. You've seen that image down there with the people in the palaquins, those weird box palaquins, all yeah. the weird candles. You see off into the on to the right of that image, there's just a hundred naked people fucking waiting for an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. This movie is fucking wild. Visually insane. I think George Miller took a lot of influence for this for like Road Warrior. Because that's the feeling I got while I watched this. It is post-apocalyptic. Um, and it's all on YouTube for free if you want to watch it. But, you know, it's got one of those standard plots of <laughs> man falls in love with male slave who gets sold to an actor. And then he has to threaten the actor and leave a, a whorehouse to get his boyfriend back. You know, that old... That old yeah. ditty. <laughs> Basically Django. Django Unchained, I think. Basically Django Unchained. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's this is Roman as shit, you know, because everybody's got boyfriends and girlfriends. Like I said, the height of decadence. Uh, and the great thing about this movie, where I should say the thing I like the most, if you notice that woman in the palaquin in that video, in that picture that I posted, she's staring right into the camera that happens so much in this movie and it's the scariest shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you imagine having a fever dream and then one of these movies comes on TV. I know that's the feeling. And this is totally, this movie is totally a vibe movie. Like it just mm. makes you feel like you're, you're watching the end of something, the end of the world or the end yeah. of civilization. Like I, I just, I was totally smitten. A good a good stare at the camera goes a long way. Uh, I think the most recent example was in Multiverse of Madness. Oh yeah, when, uh, when Wanda gets like possessed by other Wanda, and there's just that moment where she just stares at the camera for a minute, and you're like, "Ooh, it's creepy." Creepy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and this in Satyricon, it kind of makes sense because it looks like most of the people in this film are just bored. And they're bored by, like, the craziest shit is happening in front of them. They're, like, roasting an entire cow that's filled with sausage and organs that they're going to cut open with a huge saber in the middle of this big feast. But they're so bored, like, they've seen this so many times, that they're literally looking at the viewer. Like, you're the next piece of entertainment for them. Like, it's mm. fucking weird, man. What a weird feeling that is. Um I really like this movie and I don't like it because the plot itself, like um, the goal of making Satyricon was to eliminate the borderline between dream and imagination to invent everything, then to objectify the fantasy to get some distance from it in order to explore it as something all of a one piece and unknowable. And the original like story is, is written in segments because they couldn't find the rest of it. It was written in ancient Rome. So Fellini loved that. And he loved the idea of filling in the gaps 
of this story that is kind of half written. Uh, and there was also another movie that came out in like the same year. And he was like, that, that movie's a piece of shit. Like, come see my movie. It's way better. <laughs> and it was. Um, yeah, this is just just an interesting film to watch. I suggest everybody watch this. And in, if you don't care about the plot, you just look at those visuals. I think it's a vibe movie. It's going to make you feel just unsettled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. I enjoy those types of movies. So, yes, Tyrkon uh, is a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I totally understand. It's a crazy fucking movie. It's not going to connect with everybody. Uh, Roger Ebert fucking loved it. He said it was favorite movie of uh, one of his favorite movies of the 60s. Um, had a budget of $3 million, made about $10 million, So it's one of the higher grossing Fellini films ever made. Um and it's purely because of shock. I think there's a lot of shock in this film. Mm. And I think that's what, what did it for most. Um, but yeah, I really love this. And check out Satyricon if you can. Then the last film we're going to talk about on our list is a film called Amarcord. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. A-M-A-R-C-O-R-D. And it's like a mixture of two Italian words, apparently. And those words translate to nostalgic revocation. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right um so this film another really uh, a slice of life movie it's basically an entire year spent in one small town in italy when the fascists show up when mussolini takes power mm. uh, very very interesting time period in italy where you know intellectuals and, and artists philosophers they were kind of ridiculed and some of them like beaten to death by brown shirts which were Mussolini's followers they were very much brown shirts very much into the masculine idea being strong man and always uh, competing and winning and destroying your enemy like very Mm. that that type of masculinity I I would imagine is a big part of it Um, big part of this movie too because uh, Fellini skewers Mussolini's ludicrous posturings and those of the Catholic church that Italians in a perpetual uh, adolescence by mocking themselves and his fellow villagers in comic scenes that underlie their incapacity to adopt genuine moral responsibility or outgrow foolish sexual fantasies. It's basically about how when fascism sort of takes over in any place, it, stupefies the people around it makes them less focused on their own responsibility whether that be moral or ethical and only Mm -hmm. focus on the populist on what's strong and what's who the leader is and and all that weird shit Um, oh sounds familiar yeah does sound a bit familiar doesn't it (laughs) there's a lot of of uh connections and parallels in this film to obviously what's happening in our country Mm-hmm. And the great thing about it is Fellini has a really adept way of making fun of everybody. Like he's making fun of the fascists for sure. Cause they're goofballs, but he's also making fun of the weird towns, pit folk and all the people there. It's very much like dazed and confused, but with Mussolini. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the best way I could describe it. Very, uh, you know, interesting little, little snapshot of, I would imagine Fellini's hometown. That's the feeling I get from this. It's very autobiographical. 
Um, but it, yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's part of his later career where he, again, started tripping into the fantasy a little bit more and less mm-hmm. into the actual plot. And I'll be honest, Fellini never really cared about the narrative. He doesn't give a shit about the plots in most of his films, it seems. Like, he cares more about the characters and the way it makes you feel when right. you watch it, you know? And I respect that a million percent. Like, there's so many plot-based films in existence already. Let's do something a little different. Let's do something based on how you feel and how these characters make you feel. And um, that's all this movie is. It's just these little cool character moments that are barely strung together. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful, like all of his other films. Uh, I think, yeah, it's a Rotten Tomato score eighty-seven percent, an audience score of ninety percent. Year it was made in nineteen seventy-three. I think the last film the Fleeny made was in nineteen ninety, and that's when he passed away. He was still making movies up until he was like seventy or something. Mm-hmm. Um, what, like Curacao. I think Curacao was the same way. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed this this little little section of Fellini that I watched. I I, I wasn't a huge fan of all of it, and I I'm I'm surprised how much I was kind of put off by eight and a half. Like I really thought because I've seen that before, and it's been a long time, and now I watch it again, and I really don't like Guido. Like I think Guido in the main character of Eight and a Half. He's like a lesser version of Gideon uh, from uh, All That Jazz. <laughs> like, okay. I, I think Joe Gideon is a better version of Guido, <laughs> in my opinion. Didn't you bring up All That Jazz last week, too? I did, because I was talking about eight and a half. Like, oh, uh, okay, many. okay. I was like, how many? I was like, that'd be a game. That they're very how, close how many? To- how many different Galani and Chills can Chris reference All That Jazz to? Well, they're very close. Uh, the DNA is very similar. Yeah, both those movies. I think, uh, like I said, all that jazz I think is better, a better version of it. That's me, personally. You know, think think of it a different way. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this. I think, as far as the movies are concerned, I don't think there's a kill on this list. Like, I think they're all decent enough films and interesting that I would suggest checking them out at least. And La Strada being the the ultimate Mary. Uh, okay. I think Satyricon is a marry for me, but that's, you know, personal. Like, I don't know if it is a marry in general. For me, it's a marry because it's fucking made me feel really weird. <laughs> I'm all about that shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I. Uh, What's the really scariest mean? one? Satyricon. Satyricon? Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, hands down. That, I think that's why I liked it so much. I think because it's very frightening. It's a very frightening movie. Um, but yeah, I uh, really enjoyed uh, Fellini. I'm pro- maybe I'll do another one with Fellini. There's a bunch more films that he made. However, I will be stating for the next three months, that means September, October, and November, I will be watching a horror series for each month. Ooh. And for next month, I will be doing Hellraiser. Oh, okay. and holding off on. I know there's a new one coming out. I want to, you know, sexy Hellraiser, sexy fucking Hellraiser. Uh, haven't they all been? Yeah, well, I mean, was Grand Pain Devin? Wow, you, you outed me. Box. I came. <laughs> you outed me, <laughs> you bastards. Uh, does that look good though? Do you th- I mean, there was only it's a Hulu movie. There's right? a picture that I saw. Yeah, yeah she's kind of dark in the picture, but you know, it looked good. 
Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing though. How am I supposed to determine a Hellraiser movie? Once well, you start getting into like Hellraiser online, you're gonna be like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I don't know if there is like a great Hellraiser movie. Like there's a good Hellraiser movie. The first movie. the first two are decent. I enjoy the first two. Yeah. First one is I think worse than the second. I think the second No, I agree with you completely. The, the first yeah. one's weird because it's like well, the second one's the good one, I think. The the um what are they called? Cenobites. Uh, Cenobites. The Cenobites aren't even like the bad guys in it. Mm-hmm. Like it's human or just like punishers. Yeah, it's like Uncle Frank is the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> the spoilers in the attic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is a terrifying image. Like, don't get me wrong. It is terrifying. Horrifying. Yeah. Horrifying. But yeah, there's, know, there's yeah. some body horror in that. There's some good body horror, and I know there's like 15 of them. So I'm gonna try to find all of them. That's my goal. And then after that, you're gonna be doing how high, right? In one and two. <laughs> But there was two of them. Apparently, know. apparently they're they're making a third. Whoa! <laughs> okay. How high two came out in 2019, starring Lil Yachty, uh, Lil Yachty, and DC oh. Youngfly. Man, you know, those man, those man, two, man. those two. How high Chris. three will reunite Method oh. and Red? Hell yeah, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> so you're gonna revisit your Amityville uh, when the one in space happens? What? <laughs> how do you do it? How, how do you do an Amityville in space? How, you, how do you? Wait, do you that? guys didn't hear about this? Like, no, everybody but, thought it was a joke. Uh, no, but yeah. how do you do that? Did, does the house, like the up house, did they put balloons on the house that goes into space? Uh, hold on, I'll send you the picture because it's pretty. Now terrible. I'm looking it up because that doesn't make sense. It's right? a demon house. <laughs> I mean, clearly, you just wait till you look. I'll, I'll post it in the. Uh... It's a demon house in space. I'll post it in the in the GAC. In uh, space? What the yeah. fuck is going on here? What's the name of the town? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Re- I get like, oh, it. it's the Amityville house in space. It's like, no, it's the Jupiter house. <laughs> oh, wait, no, you did, you did Poltergeist. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, Poltergeist in space? The ultimate battle against oh, Amityville curse different. begins after the infamous murder house is exercised from Earth and reappears in outer space. <laughs> You know, yeah. never mind. I take it back. That's cool. That's, That's cool. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. There you go. It's it's the trailer. You can look it up right now. I'm super into the starship behind it. Yo. <laughs> also, this this makes me realize that apparently under the Amityville house is just like a big mouth, like monster. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 why it's that haunted all the time. Look at that poster, guys. Oh, final trailer HD. Looks like I take it back. That's out. cool. That's cool. I'm never gonna watch that movie. Oh, Maybe shit. I will. Dude, this looks fucking. What are you talking rough. about? We're all gonna sit together and watch that uh, in October. That's this looks one like of one of those Neil right, Breen, right. Neil Breen movies, dude. This is okay. <laughs> I don't understand this. If you've got no budget, how are you gonna be like? I'm making a space movie. Like, okay, I think <laughs> I know how to do this. I think I know how. So what you do is you have the whole movie take place in the Amityville house, right? And then you just show like the outside windows is where space is happening. Like you don't mm. space is never in an actual setting. You know, it'd be a cheaper movie. way to do that. Don't make your movie take place in space. Just make <laughs> it take place in, you know, Steve, on Earth. This on Earth. It's not fun. Oh, you can make it fun. Saying, okay. This is Doom vibes. First of all, I'm going to say it right now. Amityville happened. So whatever this movie is surmising, whatever it's saying, it actually happened. This house was exercised into space because this is a real story. This is real history. 
I'm going to pitch you an idea I came up with earlier. All right. It's not a movie. It's a show. Uh, and it's not the show you expect it to be. Okay. It, the host of the show is Gordon Ramsay. Okay. And it's a cooking show okay. called Haunted House, Haunted House, Haunted House Cookoff. Ooh. And it's essentially Hell's Kitchen, but they all stay is in a it, haunted house. I was going to say, <laughs> does it take place in hell and it's just monsters, monster chefs? <laughs> and they have to, they have to cook for the ghosts. It's like they have to go to like a, like an abandoned prison and go to the mess hall. Exactly. Like and like, they're still trying to win a prize. But like Gordon Ramsay is always unfazed by the ghosts and the demons. <laughs> They're like right next to him, and he just like ignores. <laughs> them. I don't care if you see a ghost. Finish your beef rollerton. <laughs> this is raw, and there's like this demon behind you. He's all you like, need oh, for that is Gordon you? Ramsay and a scary location. That's all you need to do. She's a demon sandwich. <laughs> You're a demon say. sandwich. What are you? You bloody bitch. Jesus. That's the real Hell's Kitchen. Why is he so mean? Well, that's his whole shtick, man. He's got to be mean. He's got to be mean oh, as all, a ghost, too. Also, he's re- he reveals himself to be a, a priest who could do exorcisms. And at the end of the show, he exercises one of the contestants. Fuck yeah. Why so, oh, my God. Why isn't this a so, thing? So, back to Hellraiser, though. Uh, okay. Chris, are you going right, to watch? Right. I, I will say, I have a soft spot for the the really bad well, I mean they're all really bad but um the fourth one that's like the the anthology one Devin you have to understand like I said there's like 15 of these movies man I know no I mean there's Hellraiser really Judgment sure it's, the, it's the fourth what? one didn't they do one of those like Godfather things where they mix the movies remember when they did that with the Godfather they should oh, do that with the Hellraisers like an and an, what is it um chronologically cut or something it was like they just like kind of merged the first and second ones together for tv yeah yeah they had it start with uh young young Vito. they should just do that with one and two like (laughs) make like the uncle frank stuff like 15 minutes into that movie yeah cut all that out make like a cohesive four-hour movie (laughs) i will say i think the last one that came out was in 2018 and it was like it was like Hellray. It was like Pinhead dealing with other Cenobites, and it was just like by dealing with him. Do you mean he was like an HR in the HR, and he was like I don't remember. I never saw it, but it seemed like he's like a, he's like against the other Cenobites or something. There's like a there's like a Cenobite boss, and he's yeah, like he's like an accountant or something. Oh, and, the Cenobite and, boss is coming over for dinner tonight, Mariel. But the, I think they take care of him, and then he becomes the Cenobite boss. What are you gonna make? I don't know. I don't have any t- meatloaf. Meatloaf. Oh, it's gotta be meatloaf. Right. <laughs> Use the hawks. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode of Galani and Chill, fellas. Um, my parting words: spaghetti, mozzarella, macaroni. Macaroni. That's Italian. That is very Italian. <laughs> As an Italian. I can confirm that these are Italian words. <laughs> yeah, I unfortunately cannot. Would it be cool? I'm not Italian. When you watched a foreign language film that you learn the language, like that was somehow I'm built s- in our brains. That would be neat, but like that's definitely like it'd be scary if I just like watched a movie 
<laughs> and like it started with subtitles and then they moved the subtitles out but i fully understood everything everyone was saying for the entire movie i'd like at the end of that movie if somebody pointed that out i would like have like i would flip out i'd be like an existential no crisis. you're right. yeah exactly <laughs> how did this happen what how did they do that <laughs> get out of my brain fellini oh, <laughs> fellini oh, you oh, bastard <laughs> get out of my brain you bastard i want to learn italian but anyway Yes, so uh, folks, next week, next Galani and Chill episode will be Hellraiser the series. So Ooh. strap in your pinheads and get all your pins in your head, and let's get ready. I'm going to oh, say your, your boner will cease around movie five. I think that's when you're going to stop being eroticized. Is that where they st- they start shooting CDs at one another? Is that? <laughs> I think that's three. That's three. That's hell on earth. That's where pinheads like just an evil guy. I'm already exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> this is, no, hey, Steve, did you make him do this? I didn't. No. I didn't make him. I didn't no, say, hey, his you choice. this is his choice. I said, how high? No, yeah. He said two movies. He said, I'm going to be two <laughs> no. movies. What if we they just smoke drink? Ben Franklin? All, how high they, is not They scary. drink? Oh, wait. Which one do they drink? You put them in the milkshake. That's, I think that's how high. Yeah, that's how, that's how. Wait, I thought they smoked them in first. No, no, I think they no, they smoke one person. They smoke Ben Franklin, and, and, then, and then they're trying. I think they drink Abraham Lincoln. There's something like, <laughs> like they can't, <laughs> they can't like. Yeah, he like left. He ditched them or something. The ghost. So then they drink Ben Franklin or something. One of my like favorite that. scenes in that is Red Man waking up Method Man with a speaker next to his ear playing. Ramstein, <laughs> Duhast, and he's got like the joint, and he's just like doing it in motion with the music. Ah, oh, it's hilarious, man! Is that funny? I is how high way better than we're giving it credit for? Yeah, are we? Are we? Are how high is a funny ass movie, man? That okay. will make you laugh. Um, all right, well, <laughs> enough of how high talk. That that sums it up. Uh, everybody, have a good night. Molto bene. Motobay! Pizza Master! Spaghetti! Oh, Devin, you can't say that. Oh, come on. You can't say it, Devin. Motobay! Oh. <laughs>